Hi, this is Greg Anderson, and this is the Living in Carver County podcast. It's an insider's conversation with the people who make Carver County the best place to live, work, and raise a family. Now today, ostensibly, this is going to be boring, but it actually has a lot of impact on what you're doing. So pay attention. Don't check out, you know, the idea of doing, I kind of geek out on public works things. Um, because they do have a profound impact on your day-to-day lives and particularly as you know with the stuff that's in the pipeline right now and so we're lucky to have uh, county engineer and public works director Lyndon Robgent here and Lyndon's going to talk about a whole bunch of things that they've got going but something really specific but Lyndon thank you for agreeing to be on I really appreciate it thank you good to be here I like to start off with maybe you talking a little bit about, you know, where'd you grow up, uh, where'd you go to school and, you know, what was your life path that kind of got you to Carver County? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I have a kind of a non-traditional route to Carver County. So I grew up in, a, in Zambia, Africa, and uh, my father was uh, in the British Army. So he went, he was stationed all over the world and he ended up in Zambia. Actually, he was a big bird watcher, so that was that was the reason he stayed, and he became a farmer. So I went to primary school there, secondary school there, and then when um, I was ready for high school, uh, I moved to England. Uh, went went there for high school in Southwest England in Devon, um, college in the industrial town Birmingham, and uh, I met my wife Stacy, who was a, a a University of Minnesota student on an exchange program. Uh, at college in Birmingham, they brought over like 30 kids for nine months. Um, and then um, I, I, I followed her home to Minnesota and she's from Crystal. And wow. I came in the summer back, I think it was 89. So really hot. Um, kind of stayed for a summer. I remember working downtown Minneapolis, then went back, finished, finished college and uh, then returned back to Minnesota in 1990. And from there, I worked in uh, the private sector, mostly in engineering design, moved to Colorado. Back then, it was hard to find a job anywhere. So we lived in, in Denver for, for a number of years. But we had a family, and we kept driving home to Minnesota every time we, we had a vacation. So we thought we'd move home. I think most guys that marry Minnesota women end up living in Minnesota anyway. So um, it was a good move. So... I kept working for the private sector and then eventually moved into to government, uh, started at Anoka County and then uh, moved up to Brain- the Brainerd area for a few years and before coming to Carver County uh, back in uh, 2009. So I've been here for uh, almost 13 years of fun. Nice. So what was your, what type of engineering did you specialize in when you were in private, in the public sector or private sector rather? Yeah, same stuff, civil engineering, so designing and of roads and bridges, you know, so basically what I'm doing now, but um, the public sector is a little different because you, you not only design stuff, you have to take care of it as well. And we also have parks under public works as well, so as well as fleet, you know, so the, it's a little wide, it's a little broader range of responsibilities when you get into the public sector. So. Okay. Now, do you guys live here in Carver County or where do you live? No, actually, I live in Bloomington. My wife works in Cottage Grove. She works for Trade Home Shoes. So that's, we're about halfway. So it's actually the location for us. But don't get me wrong, we looked in Carver County. But when my wife got her job, it seemed to make sense. I would love to live here. It's an awesome place. But uh, 
that is what it is. Well, we'll find her a job here and then you can move out. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> so uh, I think you kind of, we, we snuck a few things in. I kind of, I was sort of a little opaque on the beginning about what it is that we were going to be talking about, but uh, so you kind of like got a little sneak in there, but let's talk about what, <laughs> what's going on with public works <laughs> with, uh, with roads and bridges this year. Yeah, so we have like 270 miles of road that we take care of. I may see about 60 bridges. So all in all, we program, you know, as the roads get older, we do resurfacing or as the areas develop, like we are, you know, we're the fastest developing county in the state of Minnesota. Mm -hmm. So you can see there's a lot of people moving here, which is great, but it does put a, you know, a burden on the road system. So we do have to expand roads at times and Obviously, we have a very active uh, residence here, so we build a lot of trails as well. So there's, we have a really exciting program in expanding roadways, building trails, developing parks, as well as maintenance. So I would say how we're unique, well, maybe not unique, but the ring counties in the metro area, you know, the metro is made up of seven counties. You know, people are still moving to the suburbs because they, mm -hmm. they like to live there. Um, but the funding situation that we have is it's kind of difficult in the outer ring. It's just, it is what it is. You, you have the planning organization, the Met Council, um, various programs. It's, it's more difficult for the ring counties to get funding for transportation. So long story short, we don't only take care of our own roads, which are called county highways. So that would be things like Angler Boulevard, Pioneer Trail. So those have a, a name as well as a number. Mm -hmm. So whether it's County Road 10, County Road 11, County Road 14, what have you. We also have uh, taken it upon ourselves with the county board's leadership of investing significant money, time, and resources into uh, helping the state road system. So 212 is a very good example of that. That's probably, you know, the most important road in Carver County. So there's a freeway system from 494 comes all the way west to uh Jonathan Carver Parkway, which is where Fleet Farm is. Mm -hmm. And then from there to the west to Norwood is a, you know, two-lane uh, roadway with a tremendous amount of freight. So the board uh, years ago decided that we need to do something about this highway. So we've taken it upon ourselves to lead projects, not only on the county system, but the state roads. So Highway 5, 212 are major priorities for us. And that, that's not easy because it takes, you know, it takes a lot of effort. We, have, we continually have to seek out money to, to rebuild those roads. And then uh, the county is putting a tremendous amount of its own money into those investments. So you, right now, we've, there's two segments of 212 that are kind of our biggest projects. One's under construction as we speak from Carver to Cologne. And that one will be done the end of the summer. Took 10 years to get all the money for that road. It's about five mm -hmm. and a half miles. Probably total cost, 50 million all in. And then the second piece is the gap from, from Cologne to Norwood, Young America. And that's one that we've, we've finally got all the money for as well with the help of the state legislature, federal grants. And that one we're doing the design on now. We're buying the land needed to, to, to widen the road from two to four lanes. And that one will be scheduled hopefully for construction in 2024. So those are probably the major projects. We have a lot of county roads and bridges that we're doing, mostly resurfacing as well. But uh, 
the main focus, at least right now, is on those state state road systems. So let's talk about 212 a little bit because people, um, there seems to be, we offline we were talking about one of the purposes of this podcast was context. And I think people need to, I think there's, it's important to have some history around 212 and, and why that's there. Because there's, there's, sometimes there's a tendency when people come, they come because of 212. You know, it's easy now I can, like, for example, when my wife and I moved to Chaska, it used to take, um, you know, like 30 minutes to get to 494. Yeah, you were snaking down Pioneer Trail, you had all the lights, you went past the Eden Prairie Mall, you know, or you were driving, you went Highway 5 and you had all the lights. And then once, you know, we, we get on off Powers because we live off of Audubon, right? So we'd take a right on Pioneer, take a left on Powers, take a right on 212, and in nine minutes, we're at 494. Right. So, I mean, it's a game changer. Yeah. And so, but, and a lot of people are coming out because of that, but then once people get here, they, they don't want to have any more growth. And you talked about Met Council. So maybe talk about, you know, you, and you also mentioned, you know, it was 10 years just to get the funding for that next section. It wasn't that it, it, so it's not as if somebody just thought about it and said, let's just add on. I mean, talk about the incubation um, time that it takes to make these projects work and, and yeah. what's, what's that rationale behind that from your perspective? Well, I think the bottom line is, you know, MnDOT, who's the state road agency, has their budget, right? And they're made up of districts. And we're, Carver County's in the metro district. So they have, I think it's eight districts statewide, and they all have their own budget. So when you're in the metro district, you can imagine that the competition for funding is pretty difficult. You're dealing with 35W. 494 Crosstown. I mean, these major freeway projects that are, you know, also getting old and expensive to do, let alone 94 between St. Paul and Minneapolis. I mean, huge projects. So the further you go out and the less traffic there is on the road, the further down the scale they are in, in priority for the state. So 212 is a pretty unique corridor because it serves all, all of Minnesota, all the way out west to South Dakota, in fact. So it doesn't only serve the metro, it's, it's, it's an interregional corridor. It serves all the freight traffic coming into town. But because we're in the metropolitan area, we have to compete for all those other big projects. So with the way the funding is right now, there simply isn't enough money to, to do all the projects. So What's happening is counties, even cities, are more and more taking on the burden for planning and developing projects on these state roads, which aren't in our jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. And that takes time. You know, we don't have the kind of budget that we can do a $50 million project in, in one year. So we go after grants through the federal government. We go to the legislature and get legislative appropriations, bonding, whatever we can find until we get enough money to develop a project. We lead them with our staff and we hire consultants to do the design work. We're buying the land and everything. And that's why I take a project like 212, the first piece took 10 years. Ever since I've been here, I've been working on it actually. Um, but that, that has a huge history, that road. I mean, it's been, there's been a coalition where people in the community out West all the way to South Dakota, we've got agencies that it's called the Southwest Corridor Transportation Coalition that have been engaged in this, in this highway for, for a long time. It's part of the Yellowstone Trail. So it has a huge history, but I think once the freeway section was built and that was done with a bonding, 
appropriation when uh, uh, Commissioner DOT Commissioner Malnow mm-hmm. and Palenti, Governor Palenti, were in power. She she made that happen. So once the freeway was built to Chaska, you can imagine what the economic development has done since. So now we're just dealing with the rest of it, and funding has obviously become tighter and tighter. So the county's taken on that responsibility, and our board, to to give them the enormous credit went out on a limb and said, we have to fix this. And they passed the local option sales tax, which was allowed by the legislature. You can tax you one, one half of 1% on sales tax, and that can go to transportation projects in your county. So they did that in, uh, in 2017, just to raise some revenue to match grants and other money to do these really important projects. So that was a game changer for us. That's the only reason we're really here today, under construction on on, on two twelve. Yeah, it's it's. It, I think people don't understand how complicated it is, and you know, there's a tendency to go, somebody should do something about this, but you know, that somebody involves a. It's a very collaborative type of uh, effort. Yeah, folks don't know who's who owns the road, right? If it's if it's if it's got a problem, they want it fixed. Right. But there's many jurisdictions that have responsibility and. The, the process to get anything done, you, you can imagine, is pretty pretty complex with the permitting process, the, let alone the funding. So yeah, it, it's it's really complicated. Well, and then the other thing that you mentioned about the you know the um, priorities, the fiscal priorities being you know the roads that are the most traveled, and and then when you overlay you know aging infrastructure. You know, it's hard to, I mean, I don't know if you thought about this, but I was, I was, we were talking about um, uh, infrastructure stuff with respect to bridges and things. And I said, what was the collective cost of the 35W bridge collapse? I mean, take the moral component out that people died, just set that aside for a second and just yeah, look right. at it purely through an economic uh, lens, you know, the cost, the, the disruption on, on transportation and, and commerce the rush charges of having to build that bridge, then all the lawsuits. Um, I mean, it had to be mind-numbingly expensive. I don't think I've ever seen a you know, like a summary total of what that actually, what the effective cost of that was, you know, relative to maintenance, you know, and I suspect yeah, and it's like- a, by, Yeah, times that by thousands of miles of old roadway. Yeah. You know, the cost yeah. is enormous, yeah. Yeah, and so- you know, that, that whole, uh, that whole infrastructure piece is something, it's kind of like one of those things that we just don't like thinking about, I think, because it's, it's not, like I said, in my introduction, it's not sexy, right? Transportation is not sexy, but it's critical. You know, it's, and we try to do, we try to do nerdy stuff where we've, uh, we're pretty good at uh, doing asset management. Talk about a non, non non-sexy word, but we, we try to go after the life cycle costs of our roadways. So, you know, the money is limited, but you want to spend the, the least amount of money at the best time in the life of the road to keep it going. So we have pretty sophisticated asset management models that look at the life cycle of the road so we can put the money at the best time to, to do the best fix. And, you know, I would say that the board has been really helpful in investing in technology to allow us to do that. So we have a really sophisticated GIS system as well as asset management that helps us out with with all our infrastructure assets. So that's cool. Is I mean I'm assuming that's not dissimilar to some sort of actuarial table that townhouse associations use when they're trying to predict 
at what point they're going to need to do a roof or the exactly new the same. Yep. Okay. Very yep. cool. We, you can do that for any type of asset, whether it's a storm drain, a piece of pavement, a roof at the park, guardrail, you name it. They all have a life cycle cost. So sure. You put that in a system and at least you can tell the board if we don't spend X amount of money now, 10 years from now, you're going to spend double or triple just to, just to get it fixed. Well, you'll do that just by from inflation and cost of construction and material, you know, availability of materials. But, but I imagine too that there's a significant point of, you know, where it's easier to kind of keep it going, you know, duct oh, tape yeah. and barbed wire versus the point where it gets so bad that you're beyond, you're, it's, you know, beyond yeah, the state of rebuild it completely. Exactly. Yeah, complete mm -hmm. replacement as opposed to mm -hmm. extending the life. So that's pretty cool. So yeah. you mentioned uh, I'm going to bring I'm going to circle back on the 212 from to Cologne. You is that really going to be done this year? Yeah, we should be done. Actually, the uh, I think it's we're about 65 percent done already. So okay. we had great weather last year, if you remember. Not a lot of rain. It's pretty dry summer. Yeah, so but I mean, I've been out there, and it looks like there's sections that are there, and then there's looks like there's big pieces that are kind of missing. So I don't yeah. have a good way to calibrate how quickly that can be done. I mean, it seems like you don't have as many. Um, um, you know, I don't know what's the right word, geological challenges. I mean, it seems like it's mostly agricultural land and it's, so you're not yeah. doing a ton of contour work. Yep. That helps. Cause you know, we did a, a lot of the grading is done on site off road. So a lot of the dirt is moved on the site. We're not bringing in and taking away a lot of material, sure. which not only impacts cost and, but time. So we've done, I think we did a good job at, and we kept the highway open while we're building it. So we designed it so that you could build one side. And then when that was done, you'd flip traffic over to the new lanes. Well, we got a great contractor to Mathowitz. Um, they're, they're a really good dirt moving contractor and we're ahead of the game. So hopefully we'll get the thing open, you know, a couple months early. So hopefully late summer. It'll okay. Be done. And then, and then I'm, I'm just wanted for, as a point of clarification, the funding is basically in place. Uh, for the next section to start next year from Cologne to Norwood, or that's, or that's, yeah. that's the yep. hope. And that'll be done in hopefully in 24. So we got, we actually got really good bids on the first piece we're doing now. You know, the bidding climate was great. So we don't know how that's going to go with inflation. Now fuel prices are really high as you know, but we saved some money there. So we pushed our savings over to the phase two, the next piece, mm -hmm. uh, which is in Benton township. We got a we got a federal freight grant that was a, a, a competitive grant, and then the game changer was we got the state legislature last session to bond for twenty five million. So Senator Coleman, who's one of our local senators, uh, was very instrumental in that, along with uh, Senator Newman, who's in the Glencoe McLeod County area, and he's the chair of the transportation committee in the Senate. So they were very instrumental in getting 25 million, which was the final piece of the puzzle to get that one funded. So now it's real. We're going through the federal design process, which believe me is not easy. <laughs> we would love to do it earlier, but it takes, it takes years to develop these projects, but we believe we can get it done in 2024. That's the plan. So. Okay. For people who don't understand how, can you do, um... Uh, for lack of a better way to ask the question, can you do a bonding 101? Like what is bonding? How does it basically work? Uh, basically it's borrowing money. So that's the long story short. So the state will bond either 
if it's for a state road, they have to sell what they call trunk highway bonds. Um, and they can only use those on the state highway system. So what that means is, and you know, MnDOT, who's the state agency, doesn't necessarily like that because they have to pay the debt service out of the MnDOT budget. So if the legislature says we're going to give Highway 212 25 million in state bonding, the MnDOT's going to say, well, how are we going to pay the bill? So that's what two two million a year in de in debt service that you got to pay over 15 years or whatever the the uh, term is. And unless the legislature gives them more revenue to pay for those bonds, they've got to take it out of their budget. So they don't really like these uh, special bonding or appropriation requests. Um, so, but once in a while, you know, they make a deal. We made a deal on 212. The, the DOT commission was very helpful in uh, making that deal with the legislature. And there was a few other projects in the Metro or in the state that got funded. But we, we also do iron bonding, the county does. Um, where if you if a critical project comes along and there's not enough traditional funding, so we get a lot of our money from the gas tax that you pay at the pump. Mm -hmm. So when you pay when you when you fill up your tank, you're paying like 28 cents per gallon of that goes to the state, and that gets distributed to the state highway department, okay. the counties, 87 counties and cities that have a population of over 5,000. There's a big formula that distributes the money. And then the federal government, I think, is an 18 cent uh, federal gasoline tax that also goes to transportation nationwide, and that gets distributed to states. So that's right, the but that's, that's mostly interstate though, right? That's the interstate funding, or, does that, or can that money be allocated for you know, non-interstate projects? Yeah, within, it can be within the both. respective states. Yeah, it's both. So Mindal will get a appropriation. I mean, roughly they'll, they'll get half of that. It comes to Minnesota. So okay. some states you pay you, all the money goes to Washington, and then you get your share back. Some some states are donors. Some subsidize the situation. So I don't know where. I think Minnesota is pretty close. I think we get back pretty close to what we pay in. So that comes back by formula to the state, and then that gets distributed. MnDOT probably gets about half, maybe a little more. And then the rest gets distributed to all these, these uh, ATPs or these planning agencies. And those are grant funding that comes of, that's available to a lot of other transportation agencies. So we submit grant requests through the Met Council, who's our um, planning organization, and every two years is a big as a uh, uh, solicitation cycle mm -hmm. and we compete with all the other cities and counties in the metro area for these grant funds it's about 200 million every two years so it's a combination that goes to the state roads and then it goes to local roads as well and bridges and the money that the bond the you said that's essentially a loan so where is the money coming from is that coming out of the state general or is that coming from the state oh yeah that back to the bonding yep yep that'll that'll either come out of the general fund Okay. Um, or, but you can't use general obligation bonds. So if the legislature decides to borrow money or bond for projects on the, the state road system, they can't use general fund money to pay that debt. So they can't sell general obligation bonds. They have to use the trunk highway budget, which is this gas tax money that I mm -hmm, referred to, mm -hmm. license tab fees, uh, sales tax on auto parts, they all go into this formula. They have to use that. But if they they can 
borrow money and give it to county cities any any city government say you want to build an ice hockey arena whatever it is they can sell local bonds for that and they pay for that out of the out of the the general fund which is obviously income tax whatever other general fund money is available to the state budget so it's a combination okay so one of the things that's uh, that strikes me about this conversation is that there's a lot of moving parts here and so in your role i mean who you mentioned um you know the matching grant you know the the, the matching uh, funds that are available whose job is it to go out and source all of these various opportunities and try to make those connections like for example at the city there's historical you know there's they, they can appeal that if they've got a historic district they can appeal for federal historic grant money to, you know matching funds and stuff so like some of the develop the streets for example in downtown Chaska like on 2nd for example all the the little hitching posts and those little oh, yeah. planting yeah, yeah. things yeah. and all of that that's that's all available. That's done with grant money mm-hmm. because the actual cost of, of for example, between uh, on Second Street, it, the assessments that the buildings paid were roughly about half of what that actually cost. So at, right. at a county level, whose job is it to go out and sort of sift and sort and ferret out where these opportunities are? Or is that something that's fairly common or is that something that Carver County has a competitive advantage on or I mean, I imagine um, you start thinking about counties uh, across the state. Everybody's kind of clamoring for this, these opportunities. Right. Yeah, I'm an engineer, but that's basically what I do 70% of my time, right? <laughs> my job is to get as much outside funding as possible for okay. our project. So uh, we have a team. We have a senior planner that's, that, that uh, is in charge of grant applications. So we, we hire consultants to help, but... That's where the game is played. And if you're good at it, you get money. If you're not, um, you don't. So my philosophy has always been, you know, we gotta, we gotta go after as many as we can. And we're pretty aggressive at it just because we know we're a growing community. Sure. And I can tell you the, 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 the deck has changed over time where it used to be a little easier to get the funding. Now, the, the way the, the grant application are scored is a is a little different than it was in the old days. So, the more urban counties and cities, frankly, are at a, at an advantage. The higher density of population, the more easier it is for you to score well. So, we have to do tremendous amount of work up front. We do work years ahead of time with corridor studies and things, just to give us a little bit of a leg up on the grants to get us above that line where we get funded. So it's, it's, a, it, but that's, that's what I do. So. Okay. It team. seems like it'd be, that seem it seems like it'd almost be the opposite as the population continues to increase with the growth. It would seem uh, from the outside that maybe that would be easier and not harder. And you're saying it's the opposite. No, it's totally the opposite. You, you know, there's a, there's a movement right now, whether people believe in climate change or whatever it is that it's the other way, you know, there's a, the, the anti, uh, growth oh, anti-exurb yep you know so there's a lot there's a lot of movement and the way to do that is to change the policy on how cities and counties develop and change the way that uh, grants are are scored so you, you start pecking away at that and it just gets it harder and harder for suburban counties to compete so sure. we have to do just extra work in order to be to even be considered, we have to do it, but we have to go above and beyond. If you in Hennepin County had a similar road project, 
frankly, it'll be way easier to get the money than you are than in Carver County. I, I think it has to help though too that it's not just commuters. It's not just commuter traffic. You talked about as a as a as a uh, uh, transportation corridor for goods and services coming in. That that might it seemed like that might give you a little bit of an advantage over just purely residents. You know. Yeah. Yeah, we do have, there are some categories that are taken into account freight. freight. Mm -hmm. uh, the other one, the other big challenge we have, of course, is our trail system. You know, we parks and trails are in, in my division as well. So we have three really nice regional parks, but we try to go after grant funding to, to build these critical regional trail connections. And that used to be pretty, pretty easy. Not easy, but now it's almost impossible to get grant funding for trails. So Why is again, that? Just the way the system has changed. Again, they don't, they're not encouraging urban sprawl. It's just the philosophy of the Met Council. It is what it is. So it's harder to score well um, on, these, on these projects. Again, if you don't have the population within a certain distance from your trail corridor, you had a huge disadvantage. So the, the days of building recreational trails with, with federal or grant funding are pretty much over for us. So we have to find other ways to do it. So we, we, we go after legislative money now. Sorry. As well as grants. Talk, so. talk about the three, the, the county parks, the three county parks for people that, because people, I don't know if they get the distinction between the county parks and then things that are, and then what's the interplay between the county and say the three rivers? Yeah, we're pretty unique because three rivers uh, park, uh, the Carver Park Reserves in Carver County, but none of our residents are taxed on on that park so we have a really good deal there. it's a beautiful park you know the three rivers park district has their own taxing authority and so mostly the residents of hennepin county are paying uh into that system and we get the benefit of it so we have our own the regional park agencies which are the you know the uh, the counties and some bigger cities uh, run their own park system and we have three baylor minnowashta and lake waconia regional park and uh, we go after our own, Met, we have Met Council funding that comes to us via formula, and then we go after special funding to, to develop those parks. So our big, our big uh, priority right now is developing Lake Waconia Regional Park. Um, we just had a meeting today with the board, actually, we're doing a new uh, beautiful waterfront service center there um, next year. So we've, we've developed that uh, project for many years, but Again, in it with a small county like ours, it takes years to find the money, do the plans, and then get it and then get it built. It's just a process. But talk about where is talk about that Waconia project. You know, where is that going to what? Just I and it's and this is going to be audio, so it's not. I mean, obviously, it'd be better yeah. with you know visual aids and stuff. But for people who aren't familiar, talk a little bit about what is that project going to be. So Waconia is just, Waconia Regional Park is just east of Waconia on Highway 5. So it's uh, right on Lake Waconia. Um, if people are familiar with the old Lake Waconia ballroom, that's still in the, in the park area. So over the years, we, we bought up land to make that park whole. And now we're in the, in the, in the development phase. So our, we've, we've done a bunch, we put in utilities, we've done mass grading, we built a few parking lots. It's got a beautiful beach already. It's an awesome location. We also own the island, Coney Island, which is on the lake. That's part of the park system. But our big project now is a, is a, uh, is a, a building, a waterfront service center, we, we're calling it, which will have rental facilities, um, concessions, and a, and a location right near the water where 
people can come. Event space, so there'll be classroom activities there. Um, and then, so it's like phase two of development. Phase one was masquerading and utilities. Phase two is this building. And then phase three is going to be amenities like more piers, more trails, a playground that's badly needed. So we're doing it in phases, but a really exciting project that uh, people can, can look on our website and get more info on. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to the website and the show notes. Are you, uh, uh, the, the sledding hill is going to stay, right? Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, very popular. And in fact, that was a uh, that was a borrow pile from the when Highway Five Highway Five got realigned. They dug out all that dirt and they made the sledding hill out of it from the road project. So. I have some masochistic friends who run up and down it in the summertime for training. But <laughs> really, wow, that's uh, that's intense. <laughs> well, okay, maybe a fast walk. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty steep. You can go down that's, that hill pretty fast. It's, yeah, it's really steep. It's really steep. So are there any improvements on the in the schedule for the other two parks? I mean, Minnewashta is, I mean, it's kind of, a, it's a more it's a much more mature park in yeah, terms of where really, it is in the development right cycle. But. I think, yeah, we, we, we paved the road there a few years ago. We built the underpass underneath Highway 41. That was a great connection. So there's a good trail system done in there. Baylor is probably our next one. We got to update the master plan. Again, you have to do a plan before you can get any kind of Met Council funding mm-hmm. through the regional park system. So that one's probably due, you know, the, the infrastructure is getting old. So we're, we're kind of in the asset preservation mode in our parks, and we can only do these development projects one at a time. So, you know, that in, in fact, that building that we're building uh, at uh, Waconia is almost eight million dollars. Oh my! I mean, it's a good size, but it's it's not it's not giant by any means. So these these buildings, you want to build them for fifty years. You can imagine you, you can imagine it's going to be a beautiful facility, but that's a that's a big project to take on for a, you know relatively small uh, organization. So we just handle one at a time, and when we get the money to do the next one. We do the next one and the board shares in the cost with grants and state money. That's just the way we do it. And but I think our staff, you know, if you look at our parks, they're beautifully kept. So and they're very, very popular. And we have awesome programs, but we do that with a skeleton crew, to be honest. But we're getting there. We we it's gonna gonna look awesome. Well, you mentioned how long it takes. So I knew you had something in the docket post Waconia because it just based on what you're saying and the, how long, it, you know, what the bake time is on all these things. So I'm yeah. sure whenever you're doing something, you've got the next two plans. So talk a little bit about the trails um, and the connectedness of the, cause you know, for a long time, it was each city had their own trails, but they were kind of independent of each other. So yeah. talk about what the, what is the kind of master, what's your overall objective for the, for the trail systems? Yeah. We categorize them by, destination trail, linking trail, and then local. So the local ones are normally along city streets through city neighborhoods. The linking trails are more along the county road system that are, you know, longer roadways, but they so go like on county road 44, for example, between 10 and. Uh, Correct. Okay. That would be a linking trail or county road 11 or whatever pioneer trail. Um, and those are generally, sometimes the county operates them and maintains them. A lot of times it's still the city. We usually take care of the destination trails, which are longer, like along a former railroad track, for instance. The Union like Pacific, the LRT trails? 
Yep, and the LRT trails, those are the ones that the county takes care of. So those are our number one priority. Those are the ones that can get some funding, but even that is pretty rare now. And then uh, we're trying to develop that system so they're all connecting together. So mm -hmm. there's, still a lot of, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, we're trying to get the Southwest Regional Trail, which is a connection from Chaska to Victoria finished. And there's some gaps in there that we need to work on. Um, so again, you do a master plan, you go after funding and you, and, you, and you get it done. The other one is a connection up Highway 41 from Chaska on the west side to the Arboretum. That's another corridor we're going to be looking at soon. But I think we have an awesome trail system, but we, we, we've got a few critical connections we still need to work on. Mm -hmm. Are you pleased with the, the development along the, uh, from the Arboretum over towards Lifetime there? Oh, yeah, that was a... That was a heck of a trail project. That was a that was actually our last federally funded grant we got for a trail, and um, it ended up being I, I think we got a million and a half grant, and I think the project was six million. We ended up having to build a bridge or a boardwalk uh, through the wetland area in the arboretum. So mm -hmm. that was an extremely challenging project because with federal funds comes federal regulation permitting. You got to look at the historic nature of the environment there. Um, we couldn't impact any of the wetlands, so we had to build a bridge. Um, that project was, but it, it turned out fantastic. That huge underpass underneath 41 that takes you to lifetime. I mean, that that's a curved structure. So the engineering nerd in me, that's a pretty impressive uh, piece of engineering. So, uh, but overall, it, it created this really critical missing link on that trail system that I think. Oh, it's game, terrific. Game changer for us. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to be respectful of your time. Um, Lyndon, what um, I'd like to ask if there's one, if you were sitting in my living room or someone's living room, having a beer, you know, kind of what's the one thing you'd want them to know about, you know, what you guys are doing over there? Well, I would say we're really, the County is really taking care of the entire transportation system. So we don't only look at our own, roads our own trails we look at everybody else's and we try to find the most critical projects in the community so our major focus now is another 212 is is funded mm -hmm. and we, you know we're designing we're going to build it we're moving to highway five now which is another huge need uh and the piece we're really focusing is on is from highway 41 past the arboretum into and through victoria so we did a three-year study with the city and the Arboretum and the state on how we're going to implement uh, roadway projects on that system. Not only roads, but trails, everything. And that's our major focus. But again, it's not a county highway. It's a MnDOT-owned roadway, and we're taking the lead. So we know that that is one of the most critical transportation corridors in our county, and we have to take care of that. So I think we do a really good job, and we have great support at our board level on, on getting the funding to do that. Uh, they know that we take we have to take risks to go after funding, to get funding. The board's got to commit to funding and you, you, you wait until one pops and then you, you go do the project. So they've been really supportive of us. And I think we're making a difference. It takes time, it takes patience, but uh, we'll get there. Terrific, terrific. Is there anything else you'd want to add or is this a good no, place to end? That's good. good, good to meet you. It was good to meet you. I'm going to stop recording now, but thank you again for agreeing to be on. I think this was uh, it was a fun conversation.
All right. Hopefully it wasn't too boring. No, no, I think it was great.